monster, a creature with such horrific features, a lady, a bride, and scary movie fan. Some nerds and their website present this woman and her man. Hello and welcome back to the 2021 Halloween edition of the Bride of the Creature podcast with me, the creature, Joey G. And joining me as always, the cutest podcaster in town, the bride, Nicole. Hello. How are you, love? I'm good. How are you? I'm alright. I'm alright. It's, uh, it's, it's Halloween season. It's spooktober. Yes. We are recording this the day before it goes up. Right. Halloween is on Sunday. Yeah. Oh, hang on, everyone. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Alright, Joey's got his cold one. Diet Pepsi. <laughs> and it was my pick, and I decided to do a versus. Yeah. Have the original Candyman versus the new Legacy Quill. New one in 2021. I heard the phrase Legacy Quill, where it's like. Legacy Quill. So it's like they're marketing it as the remake, kind of, right? Because it just says Candyman. But it's a hundred percent a sequel to the original. But it's so much later. It's like, oh, it's the legacy of the franchise. Well, it's a legacy sequel. It's stupid. But I that's, think I was about to say I'm not a fan at all of that particular um, designation. But it's the thing that's being used. And Joey, you um, assigned us homework. Yeah, which you reminded me of two days ago. Um, to read the the novelette. novel or the short story. It's a novelette by Clive Barker. Yeah. <clears throat> Which was called... Which was called The Forbidden. The Forbidden. It was written in... 1985. Oh, a year before I was born. It was first published. Oh, I had a... Oh, darn it. I even had this open. I know. And I'm like looking for my notes because I just... I wrote notes on the short story. Did you know? Okay. I also listened to an interview with Clive Barker about it. I did... I got so into the research for this podcast. You like, really did. I normally... I did for the Scream franchise when we did that a couple years ago. Right. That wasn't last year, right? I think that was last year. I I think that was our Halloween special last year, wasn't it? I think it was the year before. No, there's no way. Because last year I was like, I'm tired from COVID and I don't want to do this. No, because last year didn't we do the Hellraiser? No, we did two big ones in a row. Remember we did the giant four movie Hellraiser thing and the Scream thing the same year? No, we didn't do them in the same year. I'm sure we did. Oh, you're right. I think we did the Hellraiser for our 100th episode. Yeah. I'm looking right now. You're looking right Uh, now. Episode 100 was Hellraiser. Okay. And then Scream. When did we do Scream? I think we did something else for October. No, it was the Halloween, but it was in 2019. It was two years ago we did Scream, and last year we did Hellraiser. Okay. So I was relieved that we didn't have to watch all four movies in the Candyman franchise. Well, from what I've read, the third one isn't worth it. Like, a lot of, even diehard fans, they, like, just, they pretend it doesn't exist. There are some who would argue that uh, there are multiple movies in this franchise that aren't worth it. Is that you? I'm not saying that that's me, but I'm just saying some could argue that uh, of the four Candyman movies, that maybe only one of them is worth it. All right. Um, So let's go back to the book, The Forbidden. So The Forbidden was written in 1985 and originally published in Fantasy Tales, Volume 7, Number 14, the summer 1985 issue, edited by Stephen Jones, who is like a famous um, editor of uh, science fiction, fantasy, and horror 
So uh, Fantasy fiction. Tales is like a magazine? It's a magazine, yes. Here's the cover. Okay. You guys oh, can't okay. see it, but we can. All right. It's very nice. It. it also featured Ramsey Campbell's The Sneering. I haven't heard of Ramsey Campbell. Oh, he's one of those like f- top like four or five horror writers of that really? era. Yeah. It's like Ramsey oh, Campbell, Jack cool. Ketchum, Dean Koontz, Stephen King, those guys. I should look him up. Um, do you want to run down the plot for us? Uh, sure. It is about a woman whose name is Helen, and she's writing a thesis on graffiti and like urban decay, but mostly on the graffiti. She goes to a building project site, similar to, the, to what happens in the movie, yeah. uh, where she discovers like this weird uh, painting of a mouth face guy. So she can go through. And um, graffiti and whatnot, and things like sweets to the sweet written on walls, and then she hears uh, stories from some of the residents about uh, murders that have happened in that area. And then she gets drawn into this web of mystery and intrigue until she meets uh, the Candyman, who's like an embodiment of this urban folktale, uh, who ends up killing her, and she becomes part of the legend. Yeah, and the book was way more disturbing than mm-hmm. the movie in that they actually had a child, a baby, be sacrificed. This is true. Um, to summon, help summon Candyman. Yeah, which, I mean, that sort of happens in the movie. But the baby survives in the movie. Yeah, they're not going to burn a baby to death alive in a movie. Yeah, that probably wouldn't Not in, go tw- not in 1995. Well. But I was like, holy shit, this is dark. Or 1992 when that movie came out. 95 was the sequel. Oh. <laughs> I, it, I want you to know how mad it makes me that I got that wrong. That's the kind of like thing that just infuriates me. It's It's fine, honey. Um, so yeah, I, I think it was a really good short. Yeah. And it's all about like, I would describe it cause you know how my favorite type of horror is folk horror. Yes. This is a hundred percent just a folk horror story, yeah. but it just happens to be set in like an inner city. So Clive Barker in his interview said that, um, he wanted to scare modern audiences and he related it back to people when horror kind of was first coming out in a black and white a lot of it was haunted castles haunted houses the gothic, gothic tradition you're talking about yeah. movies yes movies okay. so i was gonna say what do you mean when horror or was first e- coming even out like but, sto- even like yeah. even stories and stuff <coughs> okay. like dracula's castle things like that yeah, there was, was definitely like, a very big gothic era of he, horror and fiction. he he said that like he didn't think that would was scary enough for modern audiences anymore it's certainly not and relatable to modern audiences for them something that is unknown especially for a white audience like the projects is something Mm -hmm. that is much more terrifying much more real to be scared of than of scared of this unknown than a castle or haunted house yeah that gets pretty complicated but yeah i I take his his point though it's definitely a setting that we are not likely to relate to yeah and presumably he figures well the majority of my reading audience is in the, neither would Helen in, in oh, the yeah. story. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And she's from this like she's from this academic background and there's big swaths of the book where she and her husband, who is a dickhead, are out at dinner with other academics. And like I, I, I always like yes. stories that are just like, hey, you know who fucking sucks? Academics. They're so up their own <laughs> ass. I mean again, it's a story, and not all academics are like that. But um, most of them are, and all it takes is most. I would say yeah, look, neither one of us is in academia. We we aren't qualified to judge. I went to, I went yeah, to you went to ACAD fifteen years ago, like yeah, I guess. But I also think that 
there's something about horror that lends itself very well to the short story. Whether it's mm -hmm. a short film or short story, I think it's just like one and done, and it can leave you with chills. Yeah, because it's, it's about the visceral moment of the, the thing. Wait. Instead of like drawing, I mean, you can do great long horror movies, but it's easier when they're shorter. It's also easier to end a short. Like, you can yeah. end it anywhere and have it be scary, where... Um, well, maybe not anywhere, but close. And where if you're more invested in it, it for a long period of time, you want the ending to pay off. And there's more pressure. There's yeah. more pressure on the ending to uh, be good. Yeah, which is funny because I think that the, I mean the ending of the short of the novelette is great, and the ending of the first movie is pretty great too. I do say will say that the relationship between Helen and her husband Trevor, it's Trevor, right? Yes. Um, in the book. I enjoyed more. It's way better because, because it's developed it, in the, in the book. Yeah, yeah. And we also get Helen's interior monologue. Yeah, she of, thinks her husband's a doofus too. Yeah, and she doesn't. <laughs> he he goes out and cheats on her and is out for two nights despite her, and she she's does like, not give a fuck. Like yeah. she, I think she's so much more badass in that way because in the in the movie it seems like she relies on him more like she knows maybe is aware yeah. of what he's doing but she needs him in some way we'll get into the flaws of the movie yeah enough. but i just i really enjoyed yeah. her oh yeah their relationship in the book story the book. like while it's it's shorter and we don't get as much it's like less important and like you can see why she gets swept up in something else because there's nothing else keeping her in her world but uh, yeah, the story was really great. Just a really cool, like modern urban folk horror tale about stories and how they become part of us and all that kind of stuff. It was great. Oh, and I also read, or in his interview, I saw with Clive Barker that he was inspired by the urban legend of like the hook, yeah. like the teenagers in the car listening to the radio, mm -hmm. um, and he, so he wanted to throw that in there too yeah. with Candyman with his hook. When I was rereading it, I was, the thing that struck me the most is it reminded me of the Wicker Man. Yes, yeah, yes, it's, it's, with it's the burning. It's very similar. Yeah. And the Wicker Man is one of the five greatest horror movies ever made. I would agree with that. It is so, amazing. Yeah, anytime you can be similar to the Wicker Man, you're, you're doing all right. So yeah, I mean, if you haven't read it, I highly recommend reading The Forbidden. If you don't have a copy of... Uh, Fantasy Tales Volume 7, Number 14 <laughs> from Summer 1985. You can also read it in Volume 5 of The Books of Blood, the six-volume short story collections that Clyde Barker put out. I'm sure it's been reprinted a gajillion other times as well, but uh, that's where I read it for the first time, is in Books of Blood. And frankly, all six Books of Blood are outstanding, so I, you should read them anyway. I've never read Clive Barker. I'd seen Hellraiser, mm -hmm. and now seen... Candyman, um, but yeah, I'm gonna keep reading it because I'm enjoy I enjoyed yeah. that story so much. I haven't read all of his novels. I've read a few, but I've read a lot of his short stories, like all the books of blood and some of the other ones, and they're all excellent. So. What do you like better, his novels or short stories? Of uh, the ones I've read, the short stories, but some of the novels are really cool too. I also liked how he described what he does best as like when he they go camping as kids or teenagers he's like i couldn't set up a tent i couldn't really cook food over a fire but i could tell a scary story around <laughs> the fire and he it's really can like it's really <clears throat> good and i as from i get the impression from the interviews that he was um a lot more involved with the movie than um 
Yeah, I think he was the, a, than the other ones. Than the oh sequels. yeah, I think the first one. I think he at least co-wrote the screenplay. I don't know if he. That's the thing. Whenever it says like written by, it's like four names. It usually yeah. means that he wrote a draft, and then those other people got it, rewrote it. So who knows how much but of what he wrote is there? It is very similar. Like yeah. Oh, yeah. the cha- there are some changes. We'll get into. Them. Yeah, there's some changes and some expansions. Some successful, some not. But we'll get yeah. into it. But uh, anyway, if nothing else, if you haven't read this story, I highly recommend it. Which brings us to the first film, 1992's. Candyman, starring Sammy Davis Jr. I'm kidding. It's a really funny joke if you're familiar with the song. Uh, anyway. Um, so, Candyman, starring Virginia Madsen and Tony Todd, who is the best. There are other people in this movie, too. And we needn't talk about them. by... Oh, yeah, Philip and scored Glass. by Philip Glass. And it's a really good score. Um, and let's play the trailer. Okay. Have you ever heard of Candyman? If you look in the mirror and you say his name five times. In cities everywhere. Candyman? They whisper his name. Right. Candyman. It's just a story. Candyman? Candyman. Just a ghost story. Candyman. An entire community starts attributing the daily horrors of their lives to a mythical figure. The legend first appeared in 1890. He was attacked, mutilated, and burned to death. Poor Candyman. Helen, a woman died in there. Leave it. Everyone knows he isn't real. That's modern oral folklore. Everyone. Except Helen Lyle. Where did I... It ain't safe around here. I don't scare too easy. Wanna know about Ruthie Jean? They ain't never gonna catch him. Who? Candyman. Who is that? I came for you. Do I know you? Now she is about to discover. Helen? What's behind the mystery? I'm sick. What's behind the legend? Listen, he's under the bed! And most terrifying of all... Come with me. What's behind the mirror? He's here. Candyman, you don't have to believe. Just beware. Spooky stuff. Very spooky stuff. Oh, we're recording? <laughs> yes. Welcome <Okay>. back. <laughs> oh, no, no. No, please finish your text. We're not... I thought you were still uploading the no. trailer. No, I'm, I'm really fast. I mix this thing on the fly. All right. But please, I'm finish. Good. I'm good. I'm yeah. good. I'm done. Okay. Is away. So, Bernard Rose directed Candyman. Yes. Bernard Rose, who directed such films as... Candyman. Candyman. Uh, looks like he also made an Anna Karenina movie. I'm trying to see if he directed anything else I've seen. The Hurdy Gurdy Man. It's a short film. Isn't that a song? Yeah. Okay. It's a Donovan song, but... Uh, a Frankenstein he did. He did a Frankenstein movie from 2015. Doesn't look very good. Is that Carrie Ann Moss? I'm just yeah, judging it, it by the poster. Ah, Danny Houston. 
Anyway, that's not important. He made this movie <laughs> Candyman. Uh, so in, there's a few changes. Candyman. So this time, um, <clears throat> Helen is not researching graffiti and urban decay and things. She's researching urban legends in an academia. In academia, she's a grad way. student who's researching urban legends. And with her friend. With her friend, who is in the, the story as well. But Bernadette. She's, she's like... Um, She's less of a character. She's in not a character, really. The, she's at one thing. In the book. But yeah. she's more of a character in this Yeah, she's her say. friend. Yeah. They're working on a thesis. Um, and they uh, accidentally find out about the Candyman because the janitor mentions it. Yeah. Yeah, it's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> like, the, they go to a bunch of, like length contriving a way to have her go out to the projects to look at this stuff and i'm like i don't know why you're going through all these fucking hoops to jump through to make us this happen like looking at and taking pictures of graffiti was plenty it was fine you had i one. actually agree with you <laughs> a so lot like confusing. it was very clear like what she yeah. was doing and the projects were a good place to go to see the yeah. see graffiti and she wanted to find um like a if there was anything connecting different graffitis together. Yeah. And that was interesting, I thought, where she, it was very convoluted how she had to get yeah. to the projects. Um, they're called Cabrini, Cabrini, Cabrini Greens, Greens. In, in Chicago. They actually filmed there. Yeah, it had a real, like, how will they know it's about urban legends and storytelling if we don't say it over and over again? Yeah, it was a bit um, drawn out, I will say, a little bit. The beginning of this movie is very boring but i really enjoyed um virginia madison as she is Helen. great yeah see i saw this movie years ago and we i saw remember first in high school yeah, or college and i remember really liking it i remember just thinking it was okay and now i really like it and you and i think it's soured on it fine i don't think it holds up at all i think that she's really good and i think tony todd is amazing and there are some really cool visuals in this movie and uh a script that barely holds together and is full of nonsense and extraneous stuff that doesn't need to be there like the whole subplot of everyone thinking she's crazy and murdering people is completely tacked on for no good reason other than to to, to pad the kills because it's a horror movie and they have to have more slashers in it um i would disagree a little bit on that but we can get it's into fine. that later yeah so anyway helen and bernadette are um Working on a thesis, talking about how the gr the residents of Cabrini Green are using the Candyman legend to cope with hardship, I guess. Uh, they discovered, like, the room, which is from the original story, which is fine. Um, they talked to this... It, it's The room in the original story is different from this, in that in this one it's like, Oh, this is the scene of a murder that apparently the police didn't investigate very well because these two bumbling idiots moved the mirror <laughs> and found this whole secret passageway in like 30 seconds right. where the murder investigation, which didn't find a culprit, didn't find that. Okay. But anyway, they find that. They talk to this woman who lives next door with her son, Tiny mm -hmm. Anthony. And her name was Anne-Marie. She's in the book as well. Yes, <clears throat> Anne-Marie. And only in the southern kid's name is Gary, isn't it? I don't remember now. And in the movie, it's Tiny Anthony. Uh... Then there's the scene, which is again in the book, Helen and her husband having dinner with this um, obnoxious professor who is an... The thing in the movie that I thought was so dumb, <laughs> it's like she's talking about it, and of course this guy... Has already written a thesis he's on like, it? He's like, I already know all about the Candyman legend, and he's a genius, and he's written all about it, and she's not learning anything new. I'm like, well then what is the point? How is he still around then? And then he, But he was also like, have you read my thing? But it was like kind of calling her out because she was talking like she was an expert on it. And had discovered this thing. And then it was like, if you are in this world of academia and yeah. you work 
closely with these people, you would have known he has a paper on it. And also, if you haven't read the existing scholarship on the topic you're, you're researching, you are a shitty academic. Yes. <laughs> and so, but, but the funny thing is that that's not the point the movie is making there. The movie is doing that to show what a dickhead that guy is. Like, it's totally wanting you to side with her. Well, like, I you're supposed to think this guy's also, an ass. But no, I, no, I didn't side with her in that. I just was like, no, he, he did mm. write a paper on it. Right, but I think the movie doesn't want yes. you to... The movie wants you to be like, this guy's an asshole, and only Virginia Madsen is the good person. And like, yeah, the guy's an ass, but whatever. Uh, he ends up telling us the background story. They give a whole bunch of background to the original Candyman, who was the son of a slave. He grew up to be an artist. He fell in love with and impregnated a white woman... Her father sent a lynch mob after them. They cut off his hand, smeared him with honey, and uh, the bees stung him to death. And then they burned his corpse in a pyre and scattered his ashes across the land which Cabrini Green was eventually built upon. I don't mind the backstory. That's fine. It's just I didn't... It's, it's one of those things, too, where I'm always just like, I don't need the origin. Like, why tell me where hell, where Pinhead came from? I don't... It doesn't matter. It's not interesting. You're not making it cooler. I think... Like, from the things I've read that I'll kind of get into a bit more yeah. later, like, the the metaphors in this movie, um, it plays into that more. This is a, a, a scary story movie that is trying really hard to, like, be about something, I think, which I is cool. I actually don't think it needed to try that hard. I think it, it already is I think it that. tried too hard. No, I think the new one tried too hard. No, the new one was a movie trying to, was a message that was desperately trying to be a movie. This was the inverse. The first one was already a good, scary slasher movie that they tried to shoehorn a bunch of ideas into. And the new one is just a bunch of ideas that are not connected and are scattershot that <laughs> they're trying to shoehorn a movie onto. Spoiler alert, I don't like the new one. <laughs> but, uh, oh, do anyway. we need to even say that? Like We spoil, <laughs> we spoil every movie no, every week. No, but I'm saying spoiler alert. Month. For later in the podcast, I'm not going to be positive about the new game. <laughs> right. um, but no, it's... I don't have a problem with this backstory, but to me it's kind of like, how many urban legend stories do you know where they go into detail about the background of the, like, the hook-handed guy who kills the girl and her boyfriend? Do we go into a bunch of detail about that guy's childhood? <laughs> no, because it's not about that. It's about the... Anyway, doesn't matter. I do kind of like... Um, never mind. Yeah. I'll get into it after. She goes back to Cabrini Green. Uh, she meets the Candyman. He attacks her. Um, but it's not really the Candyman. It turns out to be the head of this gang of of ne'er-do-well miscreants. Oh, and they're in this disgusting public washroom. Yeah. Like, I've never seen... Like, the I haven't seen a lot of clean public washrooms. I know, but the, the visuals are so strong in this they movie. They did a really good job, yeah. Like, I could almost smell and taste yeah. the atmosphere of this That's washroom. Gross. So the cops arrest <laughs> this guy, assuming... Like, on a Wikipedia article, it says, the police assume he's responsible for the murders. Excellent work, gentlemen. I also... This guy seems like he fits the bill. Like, this... Because it's kind of like her getting called out physically for her own bullshit. Like, she goes into this. Her and Bernadette go to the Cabrina Greens. And Helen has this air about her that... I'm from the university. I'm white and privileged and nothing bad can happen to me. Bernadette's she at least like, you're fucking crazy, bitch. She doesn't believe that the projects are as bad as people say. Bernadette, who is a black woman... Who clearly is not from the project, no, but, but at least she's like. Ah. She's nervous. She's not. She's not comfortable there. And Helen tells her, "It's okay. They think we're cops. We're from the university." Yeah, but she's like, "They won't hurt us because they think we're cops." She thinks she's safe because she's white. She's yes. not. 
She gets attacked in the public washroom. She gets physically assaulted. Yes. Um, I d- and she she it's kind of like her comeuppance a little bit. Not that you should. Not that you deserve. Sorry, my victim blaming. <sighs> this is not a real person. This is a stupid idiot in a movie. Yes, I know. I feel like we're so. Like, no, it. she probably doesn't deserve to die horribly, but you know. But she didn't die. Don't be an idiot. Well, in that part, anyway. Anyway, yeah, I. But the it just continues though. The cops then assume that this scary gangster man is the real guy, but then the real Candyman appears to Helen in a parking garage and is all kooky and hypnotizy, and he's awesome. And he said, "Okay, this part this is where it starts to get like confusing." This movie, he explains that because she has discredited his legend by saying that there wasn't a Candyman, it's just this fucking guy at the projects. Uh, he must now shed innocent blood to perpetuate it. Okay, sure. So, yeah, I, but, but, but okay. can't you just go with that? Well, partly because it doesn't make any sense, because she hasn't. She hasn't actually done anything yet. She just got a guy arrested. It's not like she went on, like, she, like, published a book called There Is No Candyman. Also, Purcell, the guy who was a dickhead who wrote a whole fucking thesis on this, nothing, he didn't have to shed any innocent blood to, uh, because he discredited the legend. All right. So, it's just, like... It's, it's just spooky mirror shit. You're supposed to be like, oh, it's, isn't that scary? It's like, yeah, I guess. If you think about it for half a second, it falls apart. But just don't do that. Yeah. So that's, it, it's fine. Um, anyway, she blacks out and awakes in Anne-Marie's apartment, covered in blood, holding the pet Rottweiler's decapitated head, and tiny Anthony is missing. Oh, my gosh. This part, like, gave... I was like, holy shit. Like, a lot maybe, of blood. I don't know. Maybe, like, when I watched it in high school or whatever, like, I feel like stupid high school teenagers i was so as being that oh my god i don't know why i can't talk today um i was like so desensitized to this kind of stuff like it didn't phase me in high school right now as an adult i was like holy shit that's a lot of blood like it's pretty gruesome it's funny i'm the opposite in high school i remember being like like whoa that's so much blood i can't believe how gnarly this is and as an adult i was like oh yeah and i was like Oh, they the, got a this, dog head. this created like a visceral reaction for me. And I was like, holy shit. I just love that. I so, love blood. <laughs> blood, blood. Anne-Marie thinks that Helen uh, kidnapped her kid and murdered her dog. You know, because she's holding a giant knife and she's covered in her dog's blood and holding the head. Uh, and then the police burst in and arrest um, Helen. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, it's weird that the police showed up because the whole thing in this movie was well how the police never come around there and they don't care and like they barely investigated the murders but suddenly the police are johnny on the spot when this happens well it might but be different with an infant when it, something involves Honey, a baby it's a black baby in chicago in the 90s yeah, okay. the fucking cops didn't care uh anyway it doesn't matter trevor bell's run out of jail um she uh finds the candy man in a photographic slide taken at cabrini green and then he shows up in the uh, apartment and cuts her this is where the, the whole last third of this movie starts to get, like, a little all over the place and confusing. Um, I don't find it confusing. It just what, gets, What's confusing? It, it just bounces around and becomes, like, a mess. How so? Um, the Candyman just shows up randomly at different places. She shows up and murders Bernadette for no reason. Uh, he cuts her neck for some reason to make her pass out, but there's no actual reason for him to be messing with her. She gets, like, framed for the crime of killing Bernadette. Now, why Candyman frames her for killing Bernadette is never really explained. She goes to a psychiatric hospital. There's a great scene where, like, she can see the Candyman, but no one else can. And then... Oh, yeah, that was cool. 
Uh, uh, also, there's this ridiculous scene later where, like, she's being interviewed by a psychiatrist to prepare for the upcoming trial because he wants to prove that she's criminally insane or whatever so that she won't have to get as bad punishment. And so her big solution to this is to prove Caddyman is real by summoning him. And so then, of course, he shows up and murders this guy. And she's, and she's like, oh, and she's basically just like, how could this have happened? It's like, you knew well, this was going to happen. You did it, you dipshit. Uh, but there's some really great stuff with bees. She goes back to Cabrini Green because now she has a theory. Oh, yeah. She goes back to her apartment first and finds that Trevor's living with a student because there was a whole subplot about Trevor's cheating on her with a student. Yes. And like, so this professor has not only like been cheating on his psycho wife, but he's now like had his teenage girlfriend just like move in with him. Like repainting it all. I know. Garish pink. I was colors. just like, this guy went from getting some like college strange on the side because he's a dickhead to like, oh, I better marry this annoying teenager. It's just like, bro, settle down. Yeah. But then it means that she can come back to the apartment and be like, oh, what are you doing here? I'm upset now. Anyway. So see what I mean? Like she was relying on Trevor for some sort of emotional support. Yes, but I never bought went- it. But like, I felt like she just went home because that was her home. No, because like a lot of the time, even when they're like carting her away, when yeah. t- she's like Trevor, Trevor, like she ke- was always calling for Trevor. Yeah, that stuff all just kind of fell flat for me because there was never any explanation for why she would do that. Because it's pretty clear she doesn't like Trevor <laughs> for the whole movie, and Trevor's an asshole. But I feel like she didn't have anyone else, so he's her emotional support, even though she's cheating on her. I they're guess. married still, so he she is relying on him for something. And um, I just enjoyed that the book was different. Well, if that. you ever snap and go on a crazy murder spree, I'm going to repaint the house with a weird college girl. <laughs> I'm going to hire a college girl to paint our house. <laughs> Student works painting. I, used I to know. Do that. It would be in honor of you. Aww. She goes back to Cabrini Green because now she's like, I know where this tiny Anthony is. She goes into his lair. I love that like her big idea is like, I know where to find the candy man. His big scary lair that I found earlier. Of course. She sure could enough, just summon him as well. Yeah, exactly. Sure enough, she goes back to the scary lair, and he says that like, if you surrender to me, I'll keep Tiny Anthony safe. And he offers her immortality as part of like the legend. And he opens his coat, and his rib cage is covered in bees. And then bees pour out of his mouth, and he kisses her, and they stream down her throat, which is really cool. And then, for no reason, Candyman and Anthony vanish again, and Helen awakes to find out. Uh, to find a mural of the Candyman and his lover who looks just like her, which is totally stupid and unnecessary. And then... Well, he, they vanish for a reason. It's a stupid reason. The Candyman... He wants pr- yeah. to lure her to be sacrificed so that she can be immortal with him. So, the Candyman promises to release Tiny Anthony if she helps him strike fear into Gabrini Green's residence. Who, by the way, are all already afraid of the Candyman and never stopped believing in him. Yeah, I, well, that's true. Yeah. yeah. So... They have built this gigantic bonfire that they set up earlier in the movie by saying, oh yeah, there's going to be a bonfire probably in the final act of the movie. Uh, the Candyman, So attempting to feed his legend, the Candyman reneges on the deal and attempts to burn both Helen and Anthony in the bonfire. So um, also the flames destroy the Candyman because she like, didn't she like stab him or something? With a flaming, yeah, with a flaming stick. His stick. And he goes, oh, I'm on fire. And you're like, okay. And then <laughs> she crawls out trying to <laughs> save like, Anthony okay. and holds him up. 
and all of these people Anne are Marie. standing there. Sorry, Anne Marie, and all the people stand there because they built this giant bonfire, right? And so, in the book, it's clear that the residents all do believe in Candyman, and this is like their Wicker Man situation. Yeah. In the movie, there's no explanation for why they're having this bonfire if they don't believe in the Candyman. That they they're they're having it because they do believe in Candyman. Then why is he trying to re? strike fear into the residents and feed his legend if it already works. I know. If they all stole... I think it's more of like... I, cause I, I follow that narrative and I feel like that's what the movie was going for, but I also feel like there's a subtext of romanticism with Helen. Like he... They try really hard yeah, to do that. So he like wants Dracula Helen, and um, yeah, Mina Murray. He wants Helen to be with him. But he... Except that he doesn't because he dies. And well, she becomes together. the Candyman. They both do. No, but she becomes the new Candyman. But we know that's not true. In this movie, that is what we are led to believe. That she has become the new Candyman. Because at the end, Dipshit <laughs> says Helen's name in a mirror five times. And Helen shows up and murders the fucking... What's his... Trevor. And then there's a new mural in the Candyman's lair. Because she's the new Candyman. So in this movie, somehow, like... Candyman has her and Tiny Anthony. The residents all still already believe in him. That's why they're having their big Wicker Man bonfire. She saves Tiny Anthony and kills the Candyman by stabbing him, which is idiotic. Burns to death and becomes the new Candyman. So she's the new legend. Yeah. Yeah. So forget all the stuff we know about from the sequels. At the end of this movie, that's where we're at. And that whole last 30 minutes, while it has some cool visuals, makes no goddamn sense and was really annoying. It's a, it is, I will agree with you that it is a bit convoluted. It just um, keeps contradicting itself. Yeah. Um, I the One of the other big changes from the book to the movie is the seeing Candyman five times. Yeah, they just... That doesn't happen in the No, because it's book. from another urban legend that they just threw in there. Yeah. The Bloody Mary thing. Um, but I will say that I think five times is... Too many. Too many. Three. Bloody Mary... Say it three three well, times. If three was good enough for Beetlejuice, it should be good enough for the Candyman. Good enough for Beetlejuice. Good enough for Beetlejuice. Good enough for Beetlejuice. Good enough for Bloody Mary. Yeah. It should be it's, good enough for a Candyman. If it was good enough for Mary Queen of Scots, it should be good enough. Now. And now, it wouldn't be as bad if they just said his name five times. But they say his name and then they have a dramatic pause after every single oh, time. Oh, I know. That's why this it movie's 100 minutes. It takes so long to say his name five times. It's uh, uh, it's, so, a, it's a messy movie. It's got some great sequences. It's got some great visuals. Great and it's got acting. two outstanding performances. It's got two really good performances. The rest of them are fine. I, I, like, I think I forgive <clears throat> the um, convolutedness of the plot. The more research I did with it, I did like just jot down some of my initial thoughts was that it's a, li- it's a little slow paced. They could have picked it up a little bit. Uh, well, the la- the fr- the funny thing about that is that the first 30 minutes is super slow. The middle 30 minutes is fine, and the last 30 minutes is too fast. So if you just shortened the beginning and pulled out all the extra bullshit that was yeah. there, you would have had more space for the ending to breathe. And like like you said, agree, yeah. the convoluted stuff made more sense to you and didn't bother you as much after you read more because you had internalized the plot so much more. But just watching the movie, none of that was clear. Yeah. And it was confusing and but I, frustrating. But even when we watched it, remember, I was like, there's more to this. I know that I could feel there was more to this. Yeah, you were being very... But, like, should the movie be considered better because you went to all the extra effort to fill in the blanks? Like, Maybe not, but bad I... bad filmmaking. I enjoyed it more because of it. Well, yeah, sure, but that doesn't... But, like, to evaluate the movie itself as a standalone thing... Yeah. 
it doesn't work unless you went and did all that extra work. Like, it, it depends on, I guess... Well, I think you could bring your own perspectives to this about um, what they're saying, I'm trying to say about race yeah. and class and academia and Absolutely. everything like that. Thematically, completely. But I'm talking just the plot. The plot doesn't make sense the way it's presented. I, okay, yes, I agree with that. I, I also wrote down, I think, Tony Todd was like... He's perfect. The best choice for Candyman. Tony Todd is the reason why people remember this movie as being yes, so good. Because yeah. the movie itself is f- barely fine. But and he is phenomenal. I would phenomenal. say that Candyman isn't really like... I mean, I guess you, I, you could put it in the slasher category. I don't, And they try in this I movie. I don't really think it's that Tony Todd has... He's been elevated. He elevates yeah. this character to uh, someone who's very well-spoken, yeah, distinguished. Awesome. His voice is so resonant. Um, Do you think that maybe that's part of why I like the story so much more than the movie? Is that the story is 100% just a folk horror movie. And the movie tries to take this folk horror story and turn it into a slasher. Because this, all the extra stuff that was confusing and annoying is all just so they can up the body count and have graphic slasher scenes. Maybe. I do enjoy the body count. I do enjoy the the blood yeah, and the well scares and um there's something i noticed the even the first time well, not the first time because it was some high school student but when we watched it together recently um i had watched this movie in the summer and then re-watching it again with you recently i noticed that there's like a dynamic power shift between races in this movie so when the movie starts it's helen this white woman um, she is in a position of academia, which is automatically elevated somehow. She's, in her own mind, anyway. Nobody else gives a shit, but She's yeah. interviewing the janitors who are black, who um, you could see as, like, a lower... Um, she considers them lower on the Yeah, because anyway, yeah. they're janitors, yeah. and she's academic. And she goes to the projects where she thinks she's smarter than them because, oh, they just think we're cops. We're not doing, like... She just has this air that she thinks she's smarter than everyone. She's kind of a huge bitch in this entire movie. But when, as soon as she gets blamed for Baby Anthony and the Rottweiler's head being cut off, the power dynamic shifts. Um, I can't remember if any of the police officers were black, but the guy interrogating her is black. Hmm. And... Um, and I'm kind of forgetting now, but there's a, sh- a power shift where all of a sudden okay. she is um, finding herself in some way in the position that yeah, yeah lower, like she's at their mercy. The tables are turned. Yeah, yeah. which I thought yeah, was sure. interesting, and something I noticed the second time around, which I didn't notice the first time. So I think this is a film you could get more out of the more you watch it. Possibly. You could, but I wouldn't yeah. recommend it. <laughs> don't to watch Candyman more than once in your life no oh. i will probably never watch Candyman again and i i was saying to someone the other day i'm like i've read a lot of Candyman. now i watched these two Candyman movies really close i'm eagerly looking forward to never having to think about Candyman ever again <laughs> really yeah. i got so into the research i know this there's one. just all these things you're saying are 100 percent true i totally get it i think that they're all done ham-fistedly at best and I don't are think done so. way better in like a million other I places. I think it's subtle enough, and 
I mean, the plot does get a little bit confusing, but I think it's subtle enough that you could just yeah. still enjoy this as a slasher. I, I think you could. I think it's subtler in the first Candyman because it's clear to me that they were trying to find, they were grasping at ways to give it more weight. Like I say, I think the first one is a a, uh, a misguided attempt to turn into a slasher that they then added more stuff onto to try and flesh it out. Ha, <laughs> flesh. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I gave it three stars. Like, it's it's not a bad movie. It's just got a bunch of... Un- it's got that same problem that a lot of horror movies from the 80s and 90s have, where they just... Mm. It's not even plot holes that are the big deal, because plot contrivances are fine. It's just internally inconsistent and, like, messy. Like, it feels like there's scenes missing. To me, that was the big thing in the last 30 minutes of this, is it felt like there's a bunch of scenes missing. So I was Maybe. trying to play catch-up, being like, well, why is she... Why was the Candyman here and now he's gone and she's just going to the next place where he's just going to be there again? I do like what you said about like the pacing of this movie where the ending was felt rushed. Yeah. And that if they had spread it out more, it would have had more room to breathe and that yeah. may have made it better. There was a bunch of stuff they could have cut that they only had in there so they had more bodies to kill. Um, I read something that I thought was really interesting so it's okay if I just read it to you. Please. Um, so, Colin's character... She is a tourist of the Black American experience yeah. by going to Cabrina Greens and yeah. um, reducing their Black culture to pedago- into pedagogy. Yeah, sure. Which I thought was really Just interesting. Just fodder for her uppity yeah. uh, research paper. And yeah. I kind of think that, I don't know if th- how I feel about it, but knowing that they shot the movie in Cabrina Greens, but he did. they did hire the people who lived there to be in the movie. Mm-hmm. So, um, but is that the same thing, do you think? Um, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, you know, in, in a lot of ways, yes, because they're still ways, just, yes. the projects are still just, the, all they've done is substitute Dracula's castle for Black Guy's house. Yeah. That's all this and, is. And I was like, but does the fact that they hired them for the job make it better? No. And but they they did only he, they even said they they hired them to try to make peace, um, and to, to yeah and because for them they to probably be didn't have to pay them very much. No, and their last day of shooting, they were shot at from the rooftops yeah. of the projects. Like, ultimately, yeah, they just decided. Well, I people aren't like afraid of Dracula's castle so anymore, but they are afraid of the ghetto. So let's just set our movie there. So it's like the same thing as what they're saying in their movie. And again, that's another thing. Like, I don't think they're saying anything particularly well. I'm not saying that they're not saying it. I just don't think that they're saying it very well. I think it comes across kind of like they're stretching really hard to try, really hard to do this. And as you point out, yeah, they're literally <laughs> co-opting this and yeah. doing it in real life while making their movie. Um, I hadn't thought of that, though. That's really read, clever. like, that him, um, Candyman, he keeps asking her or saying, be my victim to mm-hmm. her. Um, is kind of a metaphor for um, or is wanting her to become guilty of the murders um, that he is committing and she's being blamed for them is an act of uh, reparation. Hmm. Okay. I, I hadn't considered that. That's... And it's like a reflection of the fa- of a failure of the highly educated white people to act in a system that oppresses black people. That they created and continue to perpetuate. Yeah, and only only go there for reasons like my own personal thesis and things like that. Mm-hmm. So um, I also read like the, the mirror is a metaphor as well as 
they they say Candyman five times. He appears. He is a refined. He's so like hateful, and he kills people, and he's bad. He's a bad guy. Um, he's, he's a reflection of their hatred of huh. black people. I am um, what would you call uh, racially challenged, so I am in no way equipped to really <laughs> evaluate most of this stuff. Um, I I think that's all very interesting, and I would love to hear someone much smarter and much less white than me um, break it down. Tell me, I think that'd be much more interesting than anything I could possibly say about this. So, yeah, I I when I knew that there was more to this when watching it, but I'm also mm-hmm. a bit like that, so I just. You're also a bit like that. You mean like very white? Yeah, well, like <laughs> you're a little bit like that. You're a little bit white. Also, like but I have my white privilege. And oh yeah, you know, we very are well very suburban and, white people. But doing the research on it, I just feel like I, I just opened up what I felt That's this movie awesome. was saying already. That's really good. Yeah, I think that uh, the end result <laughs> of this movie is far more valuable than the movie itself. I think that the fact that you went and did all that research and learned that things about it is way better and you did a much better job uh, describing those things to me than the movie did. Yeah. So as a piece of social commentary, I don't know how successful it was. I don't know that I'm also necessarily qualified to uh, evaluate it on those terms, but as a piece of horror entertainment, I think it is mediocre. Um, I also enjoyed reading about what people, or Tony Todd in an interview, he what he thought of his character's relationship with Helen, and he thinks that they belong together because both have been abused. Like, um, it's not so much present in the movie, I think, but they find Trevor and her's relationship like, emotionally abusive. Mm-hmm. She's being abandoned by her mm-hmm. husband. He goes out and cheats on her all the time, where Candyman was physically ab- abused, and because of this, they are meant to be together and um i guess that tony todd and um uh virginia madsen took ballroom classes together fencing together and they have this really really romantic era um together yeah and i just yeah i really enjoyed that he says even says he couldn't have done it with anyone else besides she was so good she was great in this movie and um in an interview bernard rose says he the reason he did the whole like hypnotizing thing with um, Madsen. Bernard Rose hypnotizes Virginia Madsen in the production of this movie for the scenes where she's supposed to be hypnotized. By with by Candyman's yes. presence, he act they actually hypnotize her. Um, but he said he did that because he he hated the cliche of women screaming in horror movies. Mm-hmm. He's like, I hate that sound. It sounds awful. Like, um, like he wanted Candyman to have this like control over her. And it just mm-hmm. was interesting the you know, reason he chose that way. Big ups I'll give to this movie is that very few cliches in it, like there's not a lot of horror slash movie cliches in it. No. For all of its flaws, and I think that they are many, I don't think that's one of them. So, and cool. especially with the the um, score being done by Philip Glass. Great score. He, he, Bernard Rose was also very tired of horror movies music and score telling yeah. you when to be scared. It was, this doesn't do that. Yeah, it was... He was tired of every horror movie trying to sound like a Bernard Herrmann score without the talent of Bernard Herrmann. Yeah. But Tony Todd, just his voice, everything. Mm-hmm. I really like this movie. I think that it's worth rewatching and getting more out of and diving deeper into. I think read the book. But we've been going for a long time, so we still have to talk about another movie. Yes. 
But that's what <sighs> the point of a versus is. I know. You don't want to talk about the new one? The new why, one's even more we, difficult for me to talk about. Why are we doing a podcast? I don't know. <laughs> the new I As I told you afterwards, I'm like, I am not qualified to evaluate the social stuff in this movie. Uh, I'm going to put myself on the internet saying things that are probably stupid and wrong. And normally that's fine because normally we're just talking about ghosts and things. Now we're talking about, like, urban plight. So here goes nothing. 2021, Naya DaCosta's legacy sequel to the Candyman, which is not called Candyman 3 or Candyman 2 or Candyman 4. It's just called Candyman because Hollywood is stupid. It stars Yaya Abdul-Mateen II, Tayana Paris. I thought Tayana Paris was great in this, by the way. Uh, She's the girlfriend? Cool. Yes. Yes. Virginia Madsen was in this movie? Oh, they in the flashbacks, right? Okay, never mind. So, yes. I thought it was supposed to be a prequel or a sequel or a remake. I thought no. it was like a reboot. Yeah, I thought so too. I guess it's a reboot and it's the first one in a long time. It is a direct sequel to the first movie. Yes. In fact, they spend a bunch of time in the beginning of this movie Talking recapping about, the first yes, movie with yeah. these really cool looking shadow puppets. But So it literally takes place 27 years after the first movie. Our protagonist is Anthony McCoy. Oh my gosh, his name is Anthony. I wonder if that will come back in any way. Uh, he's a visual artist named Anthony. He lives in Chicago with his girlfriend, Brianna. Uh, her brother shares the urban legend of Helen Lyle, the grad student who went on a killing spree, culminating in a bonfire outside Cabrini Green Housing Project, where she attempted to sacrifice a baby. Which we know is wrong. That's not the way it went down. Yeah, so the whole idea of like striking fear into everyone's hearts and making the new Candyman, they fucked it up. It's still wrong. It's still wrong. So, um... Anthony is desperate for a creative... They keep having this, like, character of the brother-in-law, or, or Brianna's brother, who keeps talking about how he hasn't painted anything in a long time. So that we are then we are able to go, ah, oh, yes, he has a creative block. So he has a creative <laughs> block. He meets this guy at the laundromat, Billy Burke, who was in The Wire, and he's great. Yes. Uh, I guess it, it turns out he's the owner of the laundromat. Right. But they didn't... Did they say he was the owner? Well, he was the only one there. And it's but, this, like, like, little rundown He was carrying place. laundry. I assumed he was doing his laundry. Oh, I knew he worked there. I didn't that know he worked obvious. there at all. I thought he was just he doing was laundry. He was behind a desk. I looked like he was just doing laundry to me. Oh, no. I, I could tell he worked there. Okay. Well, then that's my fault. Uh, he tells him the story of the Candyman, but he tells him about a different Candyman. A guy who uh, a put razor blade candy in a piece of candy he says, Candyman to me was this, blah, blah, blah. He, just, he tells him about the Candyman legend who about saying it in the mirror. Who um, the Candyman in this one? Uh, we'll get to that. Okay. I don't remember. But he's barely in it. Yeah. Because he's... They introduced the thing in this movie where, like, the Candyman is not one guy. It's like a sequence of people who have become the Candyman over the years. So it kind of builds off of the idea of the first movie that Lyle became, or that Helen became the new Candyman. And that since then there have been several other ones as well. Going all the way back to the original one in the uh, 19th century. But Anthony makes this really stupid... What? I'm just listening. Oh, you give me a look. You no. give me a look that I thought was saying, like, Joey, you're doing it wrong. No, no. So Anthony you're doing, makes... You're doing great, honey. Thank you Keep very going. much, sweetie pie. Anthony uh, makes this really stupid-looking mirrored art exhibit. And... Um, he doesn't get a positive reaction from the critics, despite him standing there behind the critic's shoulder and explaining his stupid art to her. And I, then the critic is so... So, if this movie was meant as a comedy, like, have you ever seen Velvet Buzzsaw? Velvet no. Buzzsaw was like a slasher movie for adults about the art world. 
-hmm. and it's full of all this kind of satire about how pretentious and stupid the art world is and all this stuff and it's really good i really like it but it's meant to be a satire and meant to be funny all the stuff about the art world in this is like if you thought that they were heavy-handed condemnations of of academia in the first movie holy moly somebody who in this movie who made this movie has received poor reviews from critics at one point or another because they go out of their way to just shit on anyone involved in the arts. They're all pretentious gits. They're all ridiculous. Yeah. There's like a bunch of weird attempts at comedy and humor that do not work at all. I didn't even, when you told me that after, I was like, I didn't even register those as jokes. Like, that's how not funny it is. Oh, man. Uh, Anthony gets stung by a bee as well, and his hand starts to turn into like Jeff Goldblum that in the I fly. Would see was, that was cool. His it travels up his arm. Yes, I, I just didn't. Face. I mean, like I instantly got what they were doing. I'm like, oh, he's turning into the Candyman. His arm's gonna yeah. fall off, and I'm just like, but we haven't really because the legend they, they established that the legend has been renewed for generations by the souls of other black men who've been the victims of racism and injustice become part of the Candyman hive because it's bees. Which doesn't explain why Helen was one, but it doesn't matter. Uh, he starts to turn into the Candyman with his hand. It gets all crazy. He also eventually learns that uh, his mother lied about where he was born. And when he confronts her, she reveals the truth that Anthony, Art Anthony, is Tiny Anthony. Baby <gasps> Anthony. Tiny I don't Anthony. mind that tie-in. I think that's kind of cool. It was fine. I, I had no problem with it. I was just like, okay, no, that's that's an interesting way to connect it. Otherwise, it would just be similar, like, well, why is he in... The- okay. It does seem kind of convenient that he happens to bump into the guy who at the laundry who introduces him into this whole thing, when if it's some kind of Silent Hill-esque conspiracy to have him become the new candy man, it's like, well, I was lucky. <laughs> but later on, we learned maybe it wasn't as, co- as a coincidence as it seemed, right? Um eventually like brianna starts to get worried about anthony but this this is like my favorite part of this movie because i was so annoyed because like he freaks out and because she sees all these paintings he made oh yeah and it's like oh he's making scary art and she's oh he's having a breakdown because he's painting like hieronymus bosch we have to do something about this (laughs) uh but she's like oh i have to find him where could i ever find him it's not really hieronymus bosch hieronymus bosch is very different who am i thinking of then you do you do like a, press, a pastiche of his work on one of the covers of Stan, the guy from the seventies. Oh, um, Francis Bacon. Francis Bacon, thank you. He's painted like Francis Bacon. You know what though? For the non-art history majors, that joke with Hieronymus Bosch would have been just fine. They ought to have been like, yeah, I assume Hieronymus Bosch made grotesque things. But that was very clear. His art was abstract. And Again, like yeah, I understand that, but okay, the point is the joke still worked. Okay, it's kind of like right. when Jerry Seinfeld says it's the symbol for boron, and if you know what the symbol for boron is, it's stupid, but if you don't, it just sounds good. It's a good joke. All right, you sound good then, but there's no no, no truth behind it. There's no truth in my art. There's no truth in your art. We didn't play the trailer for this new one, by the way. We'll We're not going to. No, we won't. We're not doing that. I've been told that we were doing that. We'll play it. Fuck it, we're playing it right now. <laughs> This is where it all began. The story of Candyman. Local character, he'd walk around handing out candy to the neighborhood kids. One day, a couple of kids get razor blades in their candy. Police come around. That's when I saw the true face of fear. Get on your knees. Hands, hands, hands. They beat him, tortured him, killed him right there on the spot. A couple weeks later, more razor blades and more candy. He's been innocent. So he's real. Candy man ain't a he. 
Candyman's the whole damn hive. If you're out here looking for Candyman, you ask me, stay away. I feel really connected to this story. God. Right here, in this neighborhood, the legend started. Uh-huh. And the legend is, if we say his name five times while looking in the mirror, we could summon him. Summon the Candyman. Hell no. Candyman. Anthony, no. Candyman. Stop. And I want to get creeped out in my new apartment before bed. Candyman. Black people don't need to be summoning. Don't. I dare you. Don't say that. Say his name. Candyman. You better not do that last one. Candyman. Candyman. You want to be a part of the story, right? No. Say his name. Candyman. Anthony, you okay? Anthony. Oh. The hell is going on? This neighborhood is haunted. I think I made a mistake. I brought him back. Candyman isn't real. He chose you. He has purpose for you. Tell everyone. <laughs> New to the neighborhood. <laughs> you should say it. Candyman. Say his name. Welcome to the Creature Podcast with me, the Creature, Joey G, and just me. That's right. We're going to do my own thing. With, oh, hello, hon. How long have you been here? Did you put in the trailer? Yeah. I was I was just doing an unrelated thing. Are you actually recording? Yeah, honey. That's how podcasts work. But, oh. Yes, honey. I'm recording. Um, uh, I don't remember where we were. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, he turns into, he's turning into the Candyman. So it's also... Brianna's worried. Oh yeah, alright, okay. So Brianna. Before we talk about how Brianna finds him, I forgot to mention, we get a bunch of un- unconnected scenes of Candyman killing random people. Uh, he kills the art dealer and his weird intern in a very silly scene. Yes. That I just and then try not to laugh. I thought this was funny that the critic who hated his work because it was in the press and because people yeah, died because in, the front murder happened art, in front of his art, all of a sudden she's interested in his art. Yeah. Now that for me, like again, plot contrived plot holes aren't a thing to complain about. But I did think it was funny that like for some reason the reporting in this in front in the the media about these murders mentioned the name of the art and the artist who painted it. It's like, oh yeah, he died. Like, if there was a murder at the Louvre, they're not going to say, oh yes, he was murdered in front of the Mona Lisa. I think they would. I don't think they would. I think they would. Maybe if it was the Louvre and the Mona Lisa, that would be a bad example. But if it was just like, if somebody got murdered at the Art Gallery of Calgary, are they going to like mention the shitty Calgary artist who fucking painted some horse shit that somebody got killed in front of? I don't know. No. But anyway, it doesn't matter. We also get to see um, the art critic who originally shit on his work, who now is being nice to him because she's going to write something about the murders happening in front of it. And then also, for no reason, a bunch of um, teenage girls. Right. <laughs> Which was, I was like, why is this scene in this movie? Why are these high school girls getting so murdered? So that high school, this, that high school scene was in the trailer. So I kind of thought that 
the movie was going to be like more of a high school movie. No, man. No. It's just a completely pointless scene. And it's not like in the previous movie, they throw in a bunch of extra murders so that you can get to see all this really gruesome murder on screen. Almost all the murders in this movie take place off camera. And there's very little <laughs> blood. I will say, after seeing the original, I was hoping for... More violence. Give more me blood. Rob Zombie's candy Give me, man. Yeah, yes, please. <laughs> like, just go over the top with it. That's what it was so... Part, part of the reason why I thought the original was so great. So, yeah. So there's a bunch more of murders. More blood. So, Anthony has gone off to become the physical embodiment of the Candyman. And his girlfriend, Bernadette, is just like... No, it's not Bernadette, is it? Is her name Bernadette? No, Brianna, sorry. Bernadette, you're yeah, exactly. Original. So Brianna is like... Oh, when he was on his insane rambling when he broke a mirror and I ran away, he mentioned the laundromat. Hmm, well, there's only one laundromat in Chicago. Oh, no, ridiculous. There's so many laundromats. How could I possibly find it? Oh, look, a pen that says the address of the laundromat that for some reason we have in our apartment. I bet you it's this laundromat. I was like, could you be a lazier writer? This is idiot oh come on put some effort into it she goes to the laundromat and she meets the guy from the wire i should look up his name i really liked <laughs> hi folks it's me the creature joey g i just referred to the actor playing william burke in this film as the guy from the wire uh the actor we're referring to here is coleman domingo and i mistook him for chad l coleman who played cuddy on the wire uh they're two different people I looked this information up in the episode, uh, in a segment that I have since cut. Uh, I am devastated to learn that I was incorrect about this. I am extremely embarrassed and proceed to kind of be a mushmouth, mealy idiot for the remainder of this podcast. So, while Nicole regales you with some very interesting topics and questions, you will hear references to me being very contrite uh, and very embarrassed about my error. Uh, so... I've tried to trim some of those where possible. There are certain references that have had to remain uh, because there was just no way to remove them. But rest assured, I now am well aware that Coleman Domingo and Chad Coleman are two completely different actors, uh, both of whom I like very much. So uh, pardon the interruption. Apologies for the mistake and for how poorly I recover from it for the rest of this episode. Uh, see you at the finish line. There right. Thank you. So... William Burke, the and the um, laundromat laundromat guy. Yep, he. We got a flashback where we learn that um, as a little boy, he does a flashback at the beginning of the movie, the show where he first encountered the Candyman, who tried to give him candy after killing some people, and then we get another flashback with this guy when that guy killed his sister, and now apparently he's at the Candyman's Renfield to continue the Dracula. Oh, I like how you compared it to that. Like, yeah, that's basically what it is, because the Candyman in this movie doesn't talk, so that's how they get around not having Tony Todd's voice. I know, Tony Todd's They just have the Candyman so... not talk. They, they do it at the end, though. Don't they have a uh, voice? At the very, very end. And we'll then I was that. like, that's what this movie was yeah. missing. It's so powerful, Tony Todd's voice. Great. So, anyway, they're going to, like, turn Anthony into the full-on Candyman. He's in, like, a weird fugue state. Um, it's all about... He's, he's planning to have the police gun down Anthony to reclaim the Candyman legend as the instrument of vengeance rather than a symbol of black pain and suffering. Which I just read on the Wikipedia. That was not clear to me from watching the movie, but whatever. Uh, he saws off his hand, puts a hook on him. Brianna escapes the church and gets chased through the Cabrini Green by Burke, who she murders. And then the cops show up uh, when she and Anthony are laying in the bathroom. Uh, the cops shoot Anthony, 
because he's a black guy. Uh, and then she gets arrested. There's this whole thing the cop tries to convince, to intimidate her into agreeing that Anthony provoked the police into shooting him. That he was, that, that he, that Anthony yeah. had threatened Brianna. And so the cop, why, yeah. yeah. So then she uses the rearview mirror in the car to summon Candyman, who is now Anthony, kills all the police, and then he, like, shows various, like, morphing face stuff and turns into Tony Todd for a second and says, tell everyone. Mm-hmm. So... The first movie, like I said, had a bunch of scary movie stuff that they tried to force a message into. Right. This movie had a bunch of important messages. Yeah, they that are, are all Extremely important. They're all jumbled around and poorly explained and poorly executed and was trying to, every once in a while, remember it was supposed to be a movie and try to throw in some stuff. This movie is a complete mess. It is You know what? Nonsense. I wouldn't say it was a complete mess because I was on board with it. I was like, I get what's happening until the end. Until, until, um... Um, William Burke takes Anthony yeah. and Brianna. I was like, then it fell apart for me. I was like, I don't understand why. Yeah. But now reading it, like, that he, it, it, about the, okay, yeah. being a symbol of black pain and suffering, I was like, okay, but it does fall apart. Like I said end. in the first movie, the last 30 minutes were a mess. In this movie, the last 30 minutes make those last 30 minutes look like a well intricately <laughs> plotted, like textbook clockwork piece i would say the acting was really good yep. again in this movie it was really well cast performances were good cinematography was good brianna's character arc was yep. interesting enough i just think it was really badly written yeah i don't know it just like kind of did fall apart a bit and it was also a bit slow paced like the, like i felt like the original was as well it follows the same formula as the original about um, uncovering the Candyman legend and things like that. So it's something we already knew going into it. So I'm like, oh, we're just doing this again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the same thing again and again slowly. But visually, I, it was stunning. You and I kept talking about, like, this movie looks it's amazing. Really nice. And it's weird. And I wish I liked it because I like movies that are weird and look good. But it's just um, I did wreck. see, like, and probably because I'm have like an artist brain so I'm always looking for things like this but I saw a lot of visual representations to the hives to like beehives and things yeah, like that like just good in um when he goes to see the art critic she calls him for an interview mm-hmm. and he goes to her apartment when it zooms out and she's yeah. being killed and we see her, the whole building it's and her even I said that her architecture mm-hmm. and her building is weird. Instead of instead of rectangular doors, they're kind of arches. But why would her place have hive uh, symbology and visuals? Like uh, I'm not, and and then when it pulls out, like the windows, it's not just a, it's not just like a normal building. All the windows are kind of rounded to yeah. people's apartments, like this sort of organic hive like. Totally, and I agree with you, but I'm just saying, why would they use that visual metaphor for her apartment? I think they're just tying in bees. Again, thank you. I get that they're tying in bees, but, like, what does that... I'm not sure. I'm just saying that's a visual that I noticed. I noticed it, too. Yes, you're right, but I just think it's stupid to have it be in her apartment. Like, have it in the places where they're talking about the, the, the Candyman hive is this, like, web of victims of racism and stuff right so why they're applying that same visual motif to the white art critic lady's place yeah, i don't understand I don't know. but they're I also it's either unintentional or just poorly executed maybe unintentional maybe i'm projecting um but i also noticed the high representation in the laundromat where their yeah, laundromats are all stacked sense. on top of yep. each other and they all have the front window yep. Um, washer dryer totally. circle, which reminded me of hives as well, which I thought was interesting. I like that too. Um, 
the research I did on this was like, yeah, it was kind of um, doing something similar to to what the original was saying about racism, but they were coming at it with the um, perspective of. Um, oh yeah, this movie's about gentrification. Gentrification. And you want to know how I know you. this movie's about gentrification? Because on about five different occasions, they literally have characters stand there and read the definition of gentrification. Yes. So, um, just like an update, I guess, mm -hmm. on it, which, like you said, is important. Yeah. I think these are <laughs> extremely important issues that I think are poorly served in this media, in this bad slasher movie. I also, like, I don't know. Again, I'm not qualified. To, I, I mistook an actor from The Wire for an actor from this movie, so clearly I'm part of the problem. But... <laughs> The fact that like they invoke the language of Black Lives Matter and things like Say His Name in this slasher movie, I was kind of just like, even if you are trying to make a point, it just seems really heavy-handed and ham-fisted to like invoke that specific terminology in this Candyman horror movie. But I think you kind of can't avoid it for the state that yeah, I suppose America is in or the world. But yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I suppose. But again, as I've definitely demonstrated in this podcast, I am not uh, qualified to say, to evaluate this movie on any other level than its success as a horror entertainment, uh, where I think it fails miserably. I think this is a pretty bad movie. With The first movie is a mediocre movie with great performances. This is a pretty bad movie with good performances and just one of the worst scripts. Just a terrible piece of writing. Um, in doing my research for this one, in... Uh, the Fangoria Magazine Volume 2 ish number 12 um, they really got into the art of Anthony McCoy because mm -hmm. it's so prevalent in this movie and mm -hmm. his how he evolves as an artist mm -hmm. um, so you notice the changes from when he did his first art installation with the mirror and what's behind the mirror yeah. now those pieces he they were like oh you've found those you didn't they're they're so crappy they you just you found them they're found yeah. art he's like no i did them and i worked hard at them and then his art evolves to those more they're still representations of the figure and candy man but they're really abstract and messy and so his evol art evolves from something that looks like pop called like pop art to something as he becomes more untethered you need a, a podcasting partner who also went to art school and is smarter than me. This is the second time lately. Like, when we watched that animated one about the wolf, where I'm like, fuck, is my wife this much smarter than me? God damn it. For years, we always thought that I was, like, this smart guy who you was, like, helping you. And now you keep doing... Quit researching these movies, because you make me look even stupider on our podcast. Anyway, can I get into the art? So they hired two Chicago artists for this movie. Um, Sherwin Ovid and Cameron Spratley. Um, so Sherwin Ovid, he did the more abstract mm -hmm. pieces, and Cameron Spratley did the more pop art pieces, which are both very much their artwork that they do personally. Um, but they worked in a studio together and, like, spitballed ideas. And, mm, I didn't um, like either of their art. <laughs> I loved I loved Sherwin Ovid's because... Ovid's because that's the pop art one? No, the, uh, the abstract, messy stuff. Oh, I more. Didn't like um, any of it. I'm not as much into pop art, but um, so Sherwin Ovid is an interdisciplinary artist who he teaches in art theory practice. Um, he teaches art theory and art practice in the, the department um, at Northwestern University. Sorry, I, I fumbled my words there. 
Um, and Cameron Spratley, I believe, is just more of a new graduate of the Chicago um, University of Art, I think. Cool. Um, oh, yeah. He's a 26-year-old student at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. Sorry. Spratley is. Okay. That's a much more understandable mistake than mine. Um, I'm still just shook. Do I can, can I continue with my book report? Yeah. Um, so, sorry. Please continue with your book report. Don't ask me if you can continue and then not continue. But anyway, he does a lot of pop art. Um, Ovid's art stems from ideas of displacement and migratory processes and what that does to the figure, which he thinks relates to um, to Anthony in his migration in search for identity and his lost history, which I thought was interesting. Um, I think Ovid's process is really interesting of using mixed materials um, that are not meant to be together, which results in a figurative um, being that's also abstract and has lots of layers to his art and um, he was very much process oriented where Spartley on the other hand does a lot of like sketches beforehand he has a clear idea of what his art's going to look like when he makes it where Ovid is just like experimenting and process based and doesn't really know what the final result is going to look like which I thought was really interesting and um, how that plays into Anthony's psyche. If this was a movie just about Anthony and his art, I would be loving it. Because <laughs> I love the well, art I mean, aspect I don't know. It. Maybe I would have liked it better than the movie we got, but I don't know. I didn't like this movie. <laughs> uh, it was not very memorable. People seem think. to like it. It's I've got heard a pretty good things. I mean, I have also heard mixed things, but it's got, you know, relatively uh, decent uh, reviews for the most part. Um, I did forget some of the stuff I wanted to say about the original. Really? How is that possible? Just like little fun, like behind the scenes facts that I always like. All right. Before we get to that, finish this one. I did. That was it. You're done with this one? Yeah. That was just my, I just wanted to highlight the artists who contributed to this film because it was a big part of his character. That's interesting because like, yeah, I, I looked at the art and went, oh yeah. I don't like that at all, and then I never thought oh, about it again for a second. there was a quote about abstract art that I wanted to use um, about the about Ovid's abstract expressionism. Um, what abstract does is try to break through consciousness into the unconscious or subconscious of one's psyche, which relates to Anthony's downward spiral becoming untethered. Hmm. I thought was interesting. Um, so yeah, the, uh, the original, the, some of the behind, like fun facts I found was like they used real bees that were bred specifically for this movie. They had like a beekeeper. Um, Who doesn't? <laughs> the bees that they used in the film are only 12 hours old because they are the same size as an adult bee, but their stingers aren't fully developed yet to, to sting as badly um they used a queen bee pheromone on helen um to because the bees are naturally attracted to this pheromone and they're also natural protectors of this pheromone so they didn't sting 
the actress Helen because Virginia Madsen. Yeah, Virginia Madsen because they they used this pheromone on her. Okay. The where bees naturally protect it. Um, and Tony Todd, when he re- really had all those bees in his mouth, the only thing he had was like this mouth guard at the back of his throat, so they wouldn't go down his throat. And he worked it into his contract that for every bee sting he got, he got a thousand dollars, and he made twenty three thousand dollars or something um, from bee stings alone on this movie. Bee stings are all natural. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then they had like they they showed and when I was watching a documentary about it, they like did most of it humanely or tried their best like. They use this thing, it's like a, this big safe vacuum that they suck all the bees up into after and release them. So they didn't just like kill them all, which I thought, I like that they were humane to the bees. That's good because you made us re-record a whole podcast after they killed some rats. Yeah. Anyway, those are the three like fun facts. Fun facts. Fun facts with Nicole. Well, um, before you come up with any more research, I think I'm going to just pump the brakes a little bit because this is like our longest podcast ever. No, I think our Scream one was longer. Yeah, we did four movies. Well, this was two movies and a short story. And it, there was a lot to talk about. So next month is November. What did you pick for us, Joey? Well, November. We are going to be watching... Uh, I guess I better decide right now because I was down, had it down to two. We're going to watch from 1932 Earl C. Kenton's Island of Lost Souls, the adaptation of The Island of Dr. Moreau by... Robert Lewis, no, by Herbert, oh, fuck me, I'm such a bad person today. It's either H.G. Wells or Robert Louis Stevenson. I think it's H.G. Wells. So it's a horror? Yeah. It's cool. about the, the island of Dr. Moreau. I don't know that one, so. Oh, well, it's really good. You should read it. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, we'll be watching Island of Lost Souls for the end of We're November. We're not turning this into a book report podcast. No, you don't have to do it for that one. We just did it for this one. Yeah. All right, well, then, uh, thank you for listening. Nicole, thank you for your efforts. Well, thank you for letting me just, like, go off because I really enjoyed the research I did for this one. That's good. I had a lot of fun with this one. That's good. I'm sorry I didn't like the movies as much and I couldn't contribute much apart from misidentifying actors. You're fine. I'm just really upset about it. I know you are. (laughs) Let's get on. Let's move on, though. Well, until next time, I am the creature Joey G. And I'm the bride Nicole. Y'all stay scary now. Kissy kissy.